The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. My guest today is Ocean Robbins. Ocean is the co-founder and CEO of the Food Revolution Network. He is the co-author of Voices of the Food Revolution, You Can Heal Your Body and Your World with Food. He has founded Youth for Environmental Sanity. I love that name. Yes. And he... Started that at the age of 16, he has been quite industrious since a young fellow, and has lots more to tell us today. Ocean, welcome to Leading Conversations. Oh, I'm so glad to be with you, Cheryl. It is great to have you here. Where are you today? Well, I'm in Santa Cruz, California. Ah, Santa Cruz. Are you near the beach? Uh, well, yeah. With a name like Ocean, I guess you'd expect that of me, right? <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I'm kind of near the beach. I live a couple miles away, and I uh, don't get down there often enough. You know, I think we sometimes take for granted some of the most natural beauty mm-hmm. that's closest to us. But but it is oh. a tra- it is a treasure to to um, for me to be reminded of the beauty of the natural world. It is a source mm-hmm. of real inspiration to me, and I think to a lot of people. Oh, I bet it is. So, Ocean, um, I, I'm really glad you're here. You know, I've been getting to know you a little bit over the last couple of years and have come to so much appreciate not only your perspective, but your commitment to your mission of a world that is safe and caring and loving and peaceful. And you seem to have found a real connection from food to peace and well-being, and I'm curious about where that started in you. Well, it started probably before I was born. In an intergenerational standpoint, I come from an interesting family background. My grandfather started Baskin-Robbins Ice Cream Company, and he uh, manufactured and sold more ice cream than any human being who's ever lived. My dad grew up with an ice cream cone-shaped swimming pool in the backyard and probably ate more ice cream than any kid who's ever lived. He he grew up uh, groomed from early childhood to one day join the money in the family company. But as as he came of age, he realized that he actually wanted to do something else with his life. He loved ice cream, and he ate a ton of it. But he also realized that actually he wanted to build health for people and contribute to a healthier world. And he didn't think that selling more ice cream was the best way to do that. So he ended up uh, walking away from the family company and any access to the family wealth to follow his own rocky road, as we say in my family. And he ended up moving with uh, my mom to a little island off the coast of Canada where they built a one-room log cabin, grew most of their own food, and lived very simply. they uh, did yoga and meditation for hours per day, and they named their kid Ocean. That would be me. 
<laughs> so I was born in the middle of the woods to hippie parents who were trying as best they could to live a, a, a life of simplicity and meaning and values. And then when, when I got a little older, we moved to California, and my dad began work on a book called Diet for a New America, which came out in 1987, and it's about how our food choices affect our health and the world around us. Uh, the media had a lot of fun with the story and called my dad the rebel without a cone. His work became um, a best-selling body of work and changed a lot of people's lives, including, as fate would have it, my grandfather. Really? <laughs> so, really? Uh, just to complete that loop, my, uh, my dad's uncle, Bert Baskin, who co-founded the company with his brother-in-law, Irvin Robbins, had died of a heart attack in his early 50s. Uh, my grandfather, Irvin Robbins, uh, ate a lot of ice cream himself and ate the standard American diet for the most part. And when he was in his early 70s, he looked like it, and he had the results of it. He was heavily overweight. He had severe diabetes. And his doctors were telling him he probably didn't have long to live because he was a very sick man. Then they handed him a copy of my dad's book. So, oh. so my dad uh, ended up influencing his father and the rebel son, who'd walked away from the ice cream company, wound up um, providing some insight. My grandfather read the book, changed his diet in keeping with its advice, got some radical changes. He got off all of his high blood pressure medications and his diabetes medications. His golf game improved seven strokes. He lost 30 pounds, and he wound up having another 15 healthy years before he eventually died uh, about the age of 90. So we've experienced in my family on... Yeah, we, we've experienced in my family on a very personal level the power of food choices to help us thrive or suffer. And we know what it's like to have a whole lot of momentum in a certain direction, but we also know what it's like to change direction and experience the benefits that come from that, which is why I'm so passionate about helping other people experience those same benefits. This is fascinating as I think about you know, your dad growing up as a small child in what would be many kids, you know, dream life, <laughs> eating ice cream every day. Um, you know, but then you say he just decided he wanted to do something different. What influenced him for that? I mean, what was it around wanting to do something significant? How well, he, he was aware that, that he was aware that ice cream was primarily consisting of dairy products and sugar and along with some flavorings and increasingly with chemicals in the mix. Yeah, yeah. And he felt that as good as it tastes, you know, to contribute to a whole lot more ice cream in the world yeah. wasn't going to make for a healthier planet. And, okay. you know, then as now we had epidemics of heart disease and diabetes yeah. and obesity and other problems that are contributed to by those problems. And of course, one ice cream cone is not going to kill anybody. Sure, but the yeah. simple reality is that if you want to make a healthier world, you can probably do better than selling ice cream. And, uh, you know, people say, why didn't you try to change the company and make it, you know, more green or more healthy? And the reality is that, you know, there were strings attached and he would have been part sure. of a system. He would have had to sell a whole lot of ice cream before he'd have the influence to make any kind of change, you know. Sure, and, sure. and his choice was that he could do more good by following his own path. And, you know, a lot of people respect that when they hear the story because yeah. the truth is that in a world where people are so often pursuing the almighty dollar 
uh, sometimes mm. making money more important than our planet or human life itself or our own happiness or love itself, we find that sometimes a story like this can actually inspire us because we realize that, uh, that some people do choose to make values and integrity and their own sense of purpose, however they define that, more important than money. And I think that builds well, a kind of trust that's actually served my dad's work. So you grew up as a child who really didn't know anything different other than eating well, eating healthy, that food really was fuel and support for the body, um, and because not everybody understands that, you know. And so you grew up that way, right? I did, and I grew up eating a lot of really healthy food, and I was uh, a marathon runner at the age of 10. I set my elementary school records for chin-ups and push-ups, and I was a pretty fit guy, and I still am. Today I have more energy than I know what to do with, and, you know, uh, <laughs> my, my weight is pretty much considered optimal. I'm, I'm pretty healthy, and I always have been. And, you know, my dad is 66 years old, and he's the talk of the gym where we work out because he is so yeah. fit. So, you know, I think we are experiencing in a very personal level that this, this way of living is good for us. And yeah. I'm so excited because, you know what, Cheryl, every day of my life I'm getting to tell people about food and about what medical research is telling us mm-hmm. and getting to help people on the path to greater health. And I am hearing the success stories. I'm hearing people writing me almost every day telling me how yeah. their lives yeah. have been changed. And it, it just it, it, it breaks my heart when kids are suffering with diabetes and elders are suffering with Alzheimer's and people of any age are suffering with cancer or heart disease, when we know how to prevent it mm. in many, many, many cases. But it also warms my heart and fills my heart whenever somebody chooses a path of greater health, takes care of their body and their life, and reaps the benefits in ways that, that are transformational. It, that just feels so good, I can't even tell you. Well, and so and I want to know more about that, but I, I want to go back a little bit because, you know, Teenagers so often cannot stand what their parents want them to do. And, you know, teenagers tend to go through this rebellious stage. And did you ever have a sense of, you know what, I'm tired of this. I want to go eat like McDonald's hamburgers or I want to, you know, just eat like ice cream every day, Dad. You did when you grew up. And or, you mean, did you ever have a sense that this was not what you wanted to be doing? Even just in that, you know, typical rebellious teenager, no matter what my parents want, I want the opposite. Well, I think everybody has a need to rebel at some point in their lives. In my case, though, I realized somewhere around the age of about 13 that I really had a choice to make about what I wanted to rebel against. And Mm -hmm. I realized that my parents' values were pretty consistent with my own, not in every possible way, but basically we were on the same page about a lot of stuff. And I realized Mm -hmm. that if I was going to rebel against them in some fundamental ways, I would actually need to be rebelling against myself. (laughs) I'd have to be Ah. uh, out of keeping with my own integrity and values. So I said, you know what, I think I'd rather take this rebellious energy that I feel inside me and rebel against child abuse, rebel against starvation and poverty, rebel against uh, nuclear weapons um, proliferation in the world. I'd like to rebel against 
toxic chemicals and toxic waste and some of the really nasty stuff. I'd like to rebel against racism. And there's plenty going on. If you wanted to find established interests that are doing things that you find destructive or out of keeping with your values or integrity, you're not going to have to look too far. And I realized I wanted to focus there. So I did. And I, I founded a nonprofit organization when I was 16 years old. Uh, which I directed for 20 years, which honestly was born out of this feeling, like we've got yeah. serious problems in the world and we've got to take matters into our own hands. So I was mobilizing young people to really kind of channel our rebellious energy, you know, in conscious directions. I love that, you know, and I, I think it, this is something that could be taught to parents and learned by teenagers that, you know, I mean, more and more teenagers are becoming aware of their own developmental stages. And um, so if you can help them understand, you know, now you're going to go through a stage that, you know, where you're not going to like anything that adults are doing. And so here you go. Here's an opportunity. If you can get them to channel that, like you say, um, boy, how powerful could that be? And it sounds like that's what the organization, yes, was able to tap into a little bit. Absolutely. And now I'm, I'm blessed to work with my dad directly, and people ask me, do you feel like you're standing in his shadow? And I say, no, I feel like I'm walking in his light. Nice. I like that. That's beautiful. Well, now yeah. you have continued to um, – you, you've been industrious for most of your life. I mean, I can't even imagine, given what I know about you and the energy you carry today, um, and that you started an entire organization at the age of 16, and that and – that, has your work in the world has continued, and that currently the the organization that you co-founded and are CEO of Food Revolution Network has more than a hundred thousand one hundred thousand members. Um, you know, I just think to myself, where is it that you um, continue to find the inspiration from? You know what keeps lighting you up. Yes, there's this big um, effort. Yes, there's a big challenge. Yes, there's more work to do. And, you know, it's a big job. And you have a family and you're out all the time. And, you know, do you ever get to the point where you just say, you know, I just need a break? Well, of course, I need breaks sometimes, um, and one of the things that really keeps me going is I have a family. I have twins that are 13 years old and a wife that uh, we just celebrated our 16-year anniversary a, a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, love keeps me going. Um, I often think that we are all living in this span between the way things are and the way they could be, what I call the possible world. And um, I think that we live in that span, and we do our best, however we can, to bridge the gap day in and day out. And yeah. so the, the more we can create the possible world in our day-to-day -day lives, the healthier we will be. And it is hard sometimes because we are swimming upstream. We live in a context where the norm is, for example, in food, which is a lot of what I focus on, to eat food that's contaminated with chemicals and pesticides and hormones and antibiotics and uh, junk. We, we sometimes eat uh, more food-like products, I think, than actual food. And yet, the reality is that we can both contribute to changing food systems, 
so that healthier food becomes more accessible, more affordable, um, more common, and more desired and demanded by the population. But we can also, as individuals, participate in creating those new systems by living in new ways, by choosing to shop at farmers' markets and community-supported agriculture, by going organic when we can, by eating real food instead of processed junk, by cooking bulk quantities of food and sharing it with friends and family. There are so many ways that we can live into the possible world when it comes to food. And in the process, we'll be healthier, we'll be happier, and we'll be making a political statement for the world we want. So I personally try as best I can to, of course, give all I can and do all I can. I, I quote George Bernard Shaw that I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. Um, but I also want to live long and full and happy. And I know that I'm doing no service to anybody if I burn myself out. So I'm interested in how I can particularly create good habits that help me thrive. So exercise and good diet and a nice rhythm of creating time with my beloved wife. You know, it's easy, especially as a father, I could spend so much time working and, um, and then giving to my kids. And I could, you know, a lot of parents forget about tending to their marriage. And, yeah. you know, it takes time to have a healthy, thriving relationship. And it takes not just time, but investment of, um, I guess you could say, emotional capital as yeah. well as time capital. You've got yeah. to be willing to take those risks and have those hard conversations. And I'm very blessed to have a partner who goes there with me. And so as a result, I feel more in love with her than ever. And that's mm. a real blessing. That is wonderful. Well, so we have to take a break. When we come back, um, I want to talk about this concept that more than 80% of the foods that we eat in restaurants and by supermarkets contain genetically engineered ingredients. So we're going to talk about that with Ocean Robbins when we come right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more, not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. 
Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito with my special guest today, Ocean Robbins. So, Ocean, let's talk about genetically engineered food, genetically engineered ingredients that are showing up in a lot of our processed foods and a lot of foods that we think are natural and organic that we may be buying in restaurants or supermarkets. So give us just like a, you know, one-minute primer on this. Okay. Well, genetically modified organisms are often called GMOs. People ask what's a GMO, and some people actually think it's God move over. Um, but no, it's not. <laughs> Genetically modified organisms are uh, generally plants, or in some cases animals, whose DNA has been modified uh, by scientists who actually spliced in genes from another life form. So they might stick a gene from a fish into a tomato so that the tomato could withstand cold weather better. Or they might insert a gene from a virus or a bacteria into corn or soybeans so that they will withstand uh, being sprayed with herbicides that will kill the other plants around them. These, these genetically modified organisms have been developed by a few companies. The biggest one by far is Monsanto, along with Dow and Syngenta, and they sell the seeds. But they don't just sell the seeds. They sell seeds and they sell accompanying products that are really part of their market, um, their market goals. These companies are not in the business of trying to save the world, they're trying to make money, like a lot of companies. And um, they have promised that genetically modified organisms were going to lead to higher yields, lower pesticide use, uh, reduced demand for water, and uh, better nutritional value and flavor to feed a hungry world. But in reality, we now have um, genetically engineered crops planted on a pretty large scale, their genetically engineered um, ingredients are now in about 75% of the foods in America's restaurants and on our supermarket shelves. And the reality is that so far, none of the genetically engineered crops that have been introduced on a large scale are bringing us any of those benefits. They're not bringing us higher yields, lower pesticide use, lower water consumption, or higher nutrition or flavor. What they are doing, and I want to be very clear about this, they're doing what they were actually designed to do. What they're doing is one of two things. Some of these crops, most of them, are resistant to herbicides. So they can be sprayed with herbicides from airplanes, and the weeds will die for the most part, and the plants will not. So we are now spraying massive quantities of herbicides on our fields. There is glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Monsanto's Roundup, in the bodies of probably every human being on Earth. It's in every air and water sample tested. It is now ubiquitous in our environment everywhere. 
We are also developing these crops that are um, the other the other major trait is that they are um, actually living pesticide factories. That is to say that the crop itself produces in every cell of the plant uh, the the Bt toxin, which is an insecticide. Certain bugs will eat it, and their stomachs split open, and they die. Now we are consuming ourselves large quantities of Bt. Most people generally consider it relatively safe. Bt has been used traditionally in organic agriculture. But in this case, it's being sprayed judiciously on the field at certain times. And then, uh, of course, the consumer can wash it off. In the case of Bt corn and the other Bt crops, it is actually registered with the EPA as a pesticide. The crop is. And this is something that is in every cell of the plant, and you can't wash it off. So we're consuming today large quantities of herbicides and large quantities of Bt in our food supply. What okay, wait, let me, let, me, let me stop you for a minute. Let me stop you. Did you say yeah. that the corn crop that has had Bt used on it is yes. registered as a pesticide? I did. And I've, I've, you can see it on the EPA's own website. If you just Google EPA... BT corn pesticide, you'll find it right there. You'll see the page where they discuss the registration of BT corn as a pesticide. That I can almost not wrap my brain around that. I know, so we're eating it. And they'll also tell you that it's generally considered safe. But, but here's the thing, Cheryl. The, the FDA is responsible for regulating all of this. And if you look at their website, they will be very clear. They have not done any independent testing of their own on GMO crops. They have never determined that they are absolutely safe based on their own data. They have taken data that industry has provided to them, studies that industry has paid for and then selectively presented to them as proof that these are safe. But they haven't done their own testing, and they won't pretend they've done their own testing. And then the industry says, EPA says it's fine, and FDA says it's fine. And it may be. We don't know, but we haven't done enough independent testing, in my opinion, to, be, to feel conclusive on this. There have been a significant number of tests that have been done by independent scientists, studies done by independent scientists, those who are not on the payroll of the biotech industry. And there are dozens of such studies that have found cause for alarm Every one of those scientists has been discredited. The study has been discredited. But we are left with this very uneasy feeling that perhaps when it comes to this issue, the, the fox is guarding the hen house. The, the leader at the Food and Drug Administration responsible for regulating GMOs is a man by the name of Michael Taylor. Before he took his current job at the FDA, Michael Taylor was vice president of Monsanto. Earlier in his career, he worked at the United States Department of Agriculture. Prior to that, he worked as a lobbyist, a lawyer, representing the interests of Monsanto. This man has been back and forth and forth and back, and now we're expected to believe that he can handle regulating this powerful moneyed interest that donates heavily to our members of Congress and telling us whether or not we should feel safe to trust this stuff. Now, again, I don't know for sure conclusively what the data is on GMOs and their safety for human health, but I do believe that we should have a right to make our own informed choices on this. 
And this is why I am such a big advocate for labeling. I think that consumers should have the right to know if their food is genetically engineered. 64 other countries mandate labeling, including the entire European Union. But in the United States, we don't have labeling. And we have a push right now on the part of the junk food industry, represented by the Grocery Manufacturers Association. They are introducing legislation into Congress that would actually nullify labeling efforts, any mandatory labeling efforts at the state level or at the federal level. It would essentially say that this country, that, that labeling is not, is not allowed on GMOs. You can voluntarily label. So if you want to go and tell somebody that you have GMOs in your product, go right ahead. <laughs> but but yeah. of course, we're not going to see that, right? Coca-Cola yeah. is sweetened by high fructose corn sweetener that's made from genetically engineered corn. And they're not mm-hmm. going to go and proudly tell everybody it's got GMOs unless they have to, and unless Pepsi has yeah. to. Yeah. Well, so... In countries where it is a requirement, has there been an impact on the marketplace? Have consumers started buying less of products that are labeled with GMOs? Well, it it is generally recognized that when we have labeling, consumer demand uh, shifts market practice which is why uh, the United States consumes far more GMOs than any other country on Earth. In Europe, they're much more cautious about this. Uh, You know, they have labeling also in in China and Japan and, you know, many countries around the world. Mexico has banned the planting of GMO corn in the entire country um, Mm -hmm. because they are concerned about um, the actual potential that genetically engineered corn pollen can drift and contaminate the native corn population, and that within a, a generation, there could be no un-GMO corn left in Mexico. So that's what their studies have told them. So they've banned it outright. Um, but there are a lot of people around the world who are uncomfortable eating this stuff. And that is why, you know, industry is spending tens of millions of dollars fighting labeling. And that's why we've launched a boycott campaign. If you go to cookboycott.com, you can check it out and sign up, we are calling for a boycott of Coca-Cola and the natural brands they own, which includes Honest Tea and Adwala and Zico Coconut Water and uh, Simply Orange. We're calling for a boycott of all of these brands until Coke stops fighting your right to know. So talk to us a bit about, um, you know, this whole, well, let me back up. So you are spending a lot of your time and energy trying to educate people. And I know that you um, do a lot of work with people who, you know, get in front of Congress and um, say, you know, we need to do things differently. Um, Do you go to Congress directly? I've been to Capitol Hill, and, and I certainly know a number of representatives and senators, and I'm grateful to have had that opportunity. Um, uh, and I am more focused right now on uh, the public than legislative mm-hmm. bodies. I think we have to generate the political will for massive change. I think the food movement is growing fast. You know, 93% of the American public supports labeling of GMOs, for example. Um, but when you get right down to it, I think we have reached a point in our, in our policy reality that Congress is more accountable to the donors 
that fund campaigns than to yeah. the general public. Because the reality mm-hmm. is that a big donation can buy votes, and that's the, that's the truth of it when you look at the facts, yeah. not literally, yeah. but functionally. So, yeah. so and with ad campaigns, they can spin stuff, right? So they're dependent on those dollars. And the status quo tends to have more dollars, right? That's just yeah. the reality of it. Whoever's making money from what the current system has got more money to keep the current system in place. So it makes change sometimes very difficult. And that's why we focus a lot. Of course, we want to change uh, policy, but we think that the best way to change policy is to con- change consumer habit and to mobilize the public and to spread mm. education so people are informed. And I'll tell you, a person who is deeply passionate and informed is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. You know, it doesn't take that many people who know their facts and are coming from a place of deep conviction and deep commitment to change the course of history. Yeah. You know, I, I, um, I always marvel at people who become very seriously ill and at that point understand that one of the ways back to health might be completely transforming their nutritional diet. And, you know, as we watch people go through this, um, and we see very often that the results are that their health begins to improve and whatever, um, perhaps whatever diagnosis they've been given uh, changes. Oftentimes it goes from, you know, you only have a certain amount of time to live to um, healthy life and many more years of um, enjoyment. And, you know, I, I when I think about that, I mean, even people who maybe eat, pizza every day change their entire lifestyle, right? And so there is there are things that can motivate people to make change. And Absolutely. Yeah. And and so obviously the goal would be that it wouldn't take that to make it happen. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. and that we would we would do it more as a, a lifestyle um, before anything happens, before we get ill. And, you know, what do you think? What do you think is going to be the tipping point for a shift? And because it seems like, you know, for any big movement, um, there needs to be a tipping point. And, for instance, you know, around smoking, um, around drunk driving, you know, there were... There were really, um, there were tipping points. There were moments in time when the public said, enough, not happening. We're not going to do this anymore. Um, It doesn't, it's not okay. And and it wasn't that there was like more than 50% of the people, right? Because it doesn't take 50% in order to create a tipping point. Where do you think that's going to be for the food revolution? Well, I think we're seeing uh, some pretty radical change taking place right now. And, and so I, it may be closer than you would think. I'll give you mm-hmm. a few facts on that. We have seen uh, the or- sales of organic foods have increased more than fourfold in the last 12 years. Mm-hmm. Similarly, uh, farmers' markets have increased more than fourfold and community-supported agriculture more than fourfold in those same 12 years. We mm-hmm. are seeing a tremendous rise in interest in local food, in people knowing where that food came from after um, 60 consecutive years of less farms in the United States every year, dating back pretty much to World War II, 
we have seen a reversal. There are more farms each of the last few years. There are more and more community gardens. Detroit has more than 300 community gardens. We are seeing uh, growth in all these areas. We have seen a 26% reduction in beef consumption in the United States in the last 25 years. Meanwhile, people are starting to eat more vegetables. There are even some, some data showing us that childhood obesity may be starting to decline a little bit after going up massively for the last couple of generations. Yeah. We are seeing some changes unfolding. Um, we're also seeing a lot of concern about factory farms uh, and the way that animals are treated. More than 90% of the American public in a recent poll said they thought that animals should be treated with respect when they're destined for human dinner plates. And, of course, most people, when they see how animals are being treated, realize and state very clearly this is not a humane way to treat these animals. In fact, more than 60% of the American public supports undercover researchers who are breaking the law to reveal and expose mistreatment of animals in factory farms. Now, you don't find very often that 60% of the American public supports someone who's breaking the law. And that starts to, makes you start to wonder whether some of those laws might need to change. Yeah, so right. I think we are seeing this rapid growth of concern about how animals are treated, about where our food comes from, about the reality of our kids and the meals. And, and I'll say also that school meals have changed a lot in the last 10 years. We've got a long way to go. But there have been major changes at a policy level, and I will credit our current president for this, too, for, for helping to shift, and the First Lady, for helping to shift school lunch programs. Uh, I don't think we've gone nearly far enough, but we've made some important steps. We are no longer feeding our kids the absolute worst of the worst incessantly every day. <laughs> and, and I say that, um, you know, with, with, um, with you know, the sadness that the bar is so low, but, but it is improving. And, you know... The good thing about that is when you cultivate in a child uh, habits around healthier food, then they're going to tend to carry those with them for the rest of their life. Well, we're going to take a break, and we're going to talk more with us, Robin, when we come right back. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, for our special series on today's top HR trends. Learn how you can become the savvy HR innovator who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next breakthrough human resources strategy. HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. Does your business, like many, 
face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Escobedo with Ocean Robbins, who is the author of Voices of the Food Revolution. You can heal your body and your world with food. So, Ocean, I want to ask you a question about farmers. Um, they, you know, we all know that farmers oftentimes get paid by the government to not grow crops. We know that they are encouraged to grow crops that don't necessarily, um, that aren't necessarily healthy, you know, for the um, population, i.e. the corn that now is listed as a pesticide. Um, Have you ever had conversations with farmers that are uncomfortable with this whole thing? Oh, sure, absolutely. I mean, I just have to honor the farmers because, you know, whether they're growing genetically engineered crops with pesticides or whether they're growing organic food, small scale, and paying their workers a fair, fair trade wage, you know, farmers work hard, and they aren't paid a whole lot for what they do. Now, there are some farm owners who maybe own massive, massive operations and don't ever actually touch the dirt, and um, that's another story. But for all the people out there in the tractors and with the shovels and, you know, that are out there actually engaging with growing our food, it's hard work, it's unpredictable, and it's necessary. And Mm. our whole society owes them a huge debt of gratitude. So, you know, whatever they may feel they need to do for their livelihood or their survival, like we should really thank them for feeding us and realize that ultimately they are responding to a need, that we human beings need to eat and we want to eat, and hopefully we can eat wisely and thoughtfully and consciously. But let's always honor our farmers and and the farm workers whose hands are in the soil day in and day out. Some of them are working 12-hour days, you know, and they, some of them don't even have, you know, health insurance at all. And, you know, they're, they are bringing us our food. So let's, let's bring more dignity and respect and gratitude to, to the farmers, I say. And then secondly, I want to say that uh, pesticides are something that a lot of farmers 
suffer from more than anybody. You know, the people who are out there in those fields are going to be breathing and experiencing the impact of all the poisons that are being put in those fields. So they actually have perhaps the biggest stake in a movement towards more organic and, um, you know, sustainable agriculture. Right. Um, And uh, a lot of farmers, it just kind of breaks their hearts that they feel like they have to do stuff in order to compete economically that isn't good for the soil, isn't good for their families, and isn't good for the consumer. And they know that better than anybody. But they have to compete economically, and that's the real challenge of it. Um, You know, when it comes to raising animals, the bottom line is that, you know, if someone's got a chicken farm, if they let the chickens run around and have space and and peck around in the dirt, it's going to take a lot more land and a lot more inputs. And ultimately, it's going to cost more to produce, and they can't compete with a factory Mm. farm operation where the chickens are kept in little cages so small they never lift a wing and, mm-hmm. you know, they're in constant, you know, light pooping on the heads of the ones below and they're driven crazy and right. they have their beaks cut off so they don't peck each other right. to death under these conditions. It's just they can't compete economically. So what, what is developing is a multi-tiered system where you've got, you know, regular eggs and then you've got cage-free eggs and then you've got free-range mm-hmm. eggs and then you've got mm-hmm. pasture-raised eggs, which are the chickens that are actually running around in the dirt. And that's the only one that I would honestly trust if you're going to buy eggs. But these are all important things, as are organics and whether the chickens are fed organics and whether or not they're, you know, given um, antibiotics. Um, So I think these things matter, and they matter a lot. And we're seeing that consumers are willing to actually pay more to see that the animals are treated decently. And I think that reflects very well on us as a species. And so it all comes down to economics. It really seems that, um, you know, to make things change in our world, the most powerful tool we have is economics. And so how do we make it economically viable um, to eat, you know, healthy food, to make this a way of life? You know, what is your thinking about that? Well, we certainly... Uh, demand increases, and that's going to increase supply and lower price. And we're seeing that with organic foods right now. Certainly, um, we can work towards um, changing food policy. We have a farm bill in the United States that gives tens of billions of dollars in subsidies, most of it ultimately ending up subsidizing factory farms and high-fructose corn syrup and a lot of the chemical additives that are making us sick. We can try to shift that policy so that more of the money will go to subsidize broccoli and cabbage and onions and carrots and fruits and vegetables and the things that we know we should be eating more of so that they become more accessible and more affordable. You know, if if I had my way, and this is quite controversial, but, you know, I would like to see um, our food stamp program have some contingencies. I'd like to see the budget expanded so more poor people can eat. But I'd also like to see, just like you right now, you can't buy um, cigarettes with that money and you can't buy alcohol with that money and you can't go to fast food restaurants with that money. I'd like to go a step further and say that, you know, the stuff that we know is toxic, you you shouldn't be buying Coca-Cola and Snickers with that money either. Right, right. um, And if we could focus it in on healthier foods, what we would see is suddenly the convenience stores in low-income inner-city communities that right now are mostly funded by food stamp money and that are mostly uh, providing junk food, candy bars, soda pop, chips, uh, and highly processed meat products, 
they would start to stock other stuff, and then the demand would be there for other stuff, and suddenly we could make those communities healthier just with that simple change. So I'd like to see some changes like that that might be controversial, but ultimately, you know, we've, we've got to be willing to offend a few current interests if we want to yeah. really create change, but ultimately we've got to look at the well-being of our people. Well, I absolutely agree with this. You know, you have an event coming up that I think a lot of people will be interested in, the Food Revolution Summit. Tell us about this. I'm so excited. Thank you for asking, Cheryl. You know, if you want to get informed and if you want to get empowered about food, then you don't have to invent the wheel all by yourself. You don't have to figure it out all by yourself. We, uh, my dad and I have assembled some of the world's top food experts on the planet, and we're bringing forth their insights in a summit. So you can hear from really some of the, some of the great leaders in this movement today and I get their, their wisdom. Uh, we're going to be interviewing uh, Dr. Mark Hyman, uh, Vani Hari, uh, Woody Harrelson, Dr. Jane Goodall, Dr. Dean Ornish, Dr. T. Colin Campbell, uh, Dr. Neil Barnard, J.J. Virgin, uh, a whole range of folks um, who are leaders in the food movement, who are inspiring and galvanizing millions and we're sharing their insight and their wisdom. So if you go to foodrevolutionsummit.org, you can, you can sign up. You can participate virtually from anywhere on the planet. The summit runs April 26th to May 4th. You can participate for free in all of the live events or listen to the replays, or you can get an empowerment package if you want to own the MP3s and CD sets for your whole life. I think this is just the best way I know to give people access so you can really get the information you need to help your family thrive so you don't have to be a victim of a toxic food culture so you can break free and be liberated to have the health that you and your family deserve. So we're sharing this summit, and part of our goal in the summit, honestly, Cheryl, is not just to help individuals know what they can do in their own lives, but also to create what we call the food revolution. We really want to change the system. We want to accelerate the food movement so that we don't have, because I don't think we have time right now to, to wait around for another 10 years of the status quo. Too many people are dying and suffering and hurting, and we can do better. Our kids deserve more from us. And so the Food Revolution Summit is about helping us to, of course, to, to free ourselves from the toxic system, but also helping us to become agents of change. You know, I I just think this is fabulous, and all of those um, experts who you whose names you mentioned are well worth listening to. So I would recommend everybody to do that. Before we go, um, I want to touch on something that is um, very personal for you, and that is that you are the father. You and your wife are parents to special needs twins, and they were born in two thousand one, and each of them has autism. And you are working in a special program um, to help them with that. And I'm wondering how much you see food and the relationship to the types of food um, that these children eat or, you know, have inherited from their parents. I mean, do you see a connection between that autism? Well, here's, here's what we know. In the last generation, 
We have seen GMOs introduced on our, into our food supply on a massive scale. We've also seen a major increase in the amount of chemicals and food-like substances that are in our food supply. Mm. You look at charts and you look at those trends, there's this graph, and basically we've got this rapidly accelerating, almost exponential growth in the amount of GMOs that we're consuming and also, frankly, the amount of chemicals that we're consuming and the number of them. More and more of our food is the product of a laboratory um, rather than the farm in some ways. In those same years, we've seen a five-fold increase in autism diagnosis in the United States. Now, correlation is not causation. We've also seen a big growth in the Chinese GDP in those years, right? But when a correlation this strong exists, I think it compels a deeper look. And as a father whose kids have autism, I just want to say that I think I should have a right to decide what I'm feeding my kids. Mm. And I think that if I want, when I see that data, to just like product labels do have to say what chemicals are in the food, they should also have to say if there's GMOs in there so that mm. I can make an informed choice. Now, I'll also say that, that our kids who are 13 years old now, and autism is, a, is a certainly a, a serious challenge. Um, and we are experiencing some real miracles. And mm. I'm really grateful, number one, for the knowledge we have about healthy food, because I think we're giving our boys the best possible opportunity at a healthy life. They hardly yeah. ever get sick. They're vibrant, energetic, and, you know, bright guys. Um, yeah. And I'll also say that, um, that we're doing a program, which is called Sunrise, S-O-N-R-I-S-E, that takes a really unique approach to autism therapy, and we're getting some remarkable results. Conventional autism therapy looks at autism as a behavioral problem and tries to train kids to behave better. What we're doing looks at autism as a relational challenge, and the goal is to build connection. So we're building eye contact, love, connection, human empathy, and we're experiencing our boys responding in incredible ways. We have a whole team of volunteers in our home that are helping us with this, and we're experiencing the healing power of love. That is a powerful, powerful story. Ocean Robbins, you are making such a difference in the world. We are grateful that you are here today to share with us what you're doing. And we are all better for it. So the book is Voices of the Food Revolution. You can heal your body and your world with food. The online uh, opportunity to connect in is called the Food Revolution Summit. Go to foodrevolutionsummit.org for the upcoming event in April, April 26th and May 4th. Ocean, thanks for being here. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Cheryl. And thanks to all the listeners for every step you take to, to live for healthier life and a healthier food system. You are the hope of our world. Remember, everyone. To think big, the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.